Welcome to the Musician's Venture Podcast. This is a podcast focused on lessons learned from musicians' backstories, as well as from building successful careers in the music business. My name is Nick O'Brien, and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events that Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. On occasion, I'll be joined by Allison M., the founder of Wisconsin Music Ventures, as she and I will dive into topics relevant to the music industry. So let's get down to business. Hey there, all you musicians and music lovers. I am Nick O'Brien, and welcome to this episode of the Musicians Venture Podcast. This episode features an interview with three of the five members of Moonglow, a Milwaukee-based pop-soul band fueled by the cosmic love vibrations emanated from moonlit drives down ethereal boulevards. The band features the dynamic vocals and keyboard playing of leader Joe Humiston, driving funky riffs from guitarist Isaac Rapinski, a Jay Dilla-esque backbeat provided by rhythm section Brent Gastro on bass and Sterling Dorsey on drums, and the unmatched sultry saxophone playing provided by Tyler Kraft. Their live shows aim to get you grooving and a tug on your nostalgic heartstrings. Their debut self-titled album was released in October of 2021. Now, I had the pleasure of sitting down to chat with Joe, Isaac, and Sterling, as well as a special guest appearance from one of the band's biggest fans, who actually suggested that they be on the podcast. We start the conversation by talking about each of their respective paths to where their music careers are currently at. Joe talks about his music theater background and how that influenced the personality of his singing voice. They reflect on the genesis of Moon Glow and how the band came together rather serendipitously as a result of some chance encounters, and how they cycled through different band names before landing on Moonglow. We talk about the process of putting together their first album in 2021. Moonglow puts on a very memorable live show, and Isaac explains what goes into the process of arranging the live show experience, and he even gives some advice to other artists and bands to consider when thinking about their own live show experiences. They talk about their best shows and even some of the shows where things went wrong. Moonglow started in 2019 and not too long after, the world shut down due to COVID and the guys talk about how they made it through that experience as a young band at that time. We also dive into the business side of the band and how Joe, who handles most of that, is learning how to manage that side of things. They explain their collaborative songwriting process, the inspiration behind the lyrics and how it all comes together in their practice sessions. We talk about the song that you'll hear at the end of this interview, which is called Sip a Juice. They describe what success for the band means to them. We also did something that the Musicians Venture podcast has never done before, which is to invite a fan to be part of the interview. So Moonglow superfan Jake joins the conversation to share what the band's music means to him, and then the guys respond in real time to the affirmations that Jake shares with them. And the conversation comes to an end with the guys sharing some thoughts about what they want listeners to know and how they want people to think about Moonglow's music. What a fun conversation this was. These guys have great chemistry on stage, and that dynamic is also on display throughout the interview. The band is currently working on their next album, which is slated to be released in August of 2023, so keep your eyes out for that. I hope you enjoy my chat with Moonglow. Guys, thanks for inviting me into your practice studio here. I always like to do these interviews in the comfort of an artist or band's 
own home. You, you, you all don't live here. Isaac, you live here, but yes, I do. I'm sure you're comfortable here. And thanks for swinging that. Yeah. So no, I've been looking forward to this interview. I have been listening to your music on a repeat for the past few days in preparation for this. And let's start the conversation. As I always start these conversations, I'm really interested in learning about each of your kind of paths to where you are right now as it relates to music. So let's start with you, Sterling. Tell me about your musical path. Like at what point in your life did you start to kind of lean into creating music rather than just consuming it? And what were the inspirations or influences along that path? It all starts at taking lessons with my brother, piano lessons way back when, and my dad getting this like production software called Kinetic Cakewalk. I used to play around with it a bunch in our basement. And I guess I started off like doing like little production stuff like that. And then I started taking drum lessons, getting into like different genres of playing, did like middle school band combo, jazz combos, went to the conservatory of Wisconsin, jazz, uh, whatever you call that. Uh, did their combo for a little bit, uh, took a hiatus in high school, decided I wanted to go to school for audio engineering. And then somewhere along that way, I met Isaac at a park one day with my cousin. The Milwaukee music scene had like a, a really poppin' scene back then where there would be like house shows going. I attended some of those and found Isaac again there one night and after they played their show, we were like jamming together afterwards. So he said he was trying to start a project with one of his friends and I said I knew a bass player and that's kind of like how we all met. Right on, yeah. So you've been playing music most of your life then? Yeah, on and off. I think I've, I've found the purpose more in it being with these guys yeah um a bit more than in my past so yeah it's been a cool journey what tell me more about that purpose that you found how do you explain that i guess it's like more of like finding what it means to me or like where i want to take it more a matter of completing things and like putting out finished products things like that gotcha yeah yeah well that's a cool story thanks for sharing christian isaac what about you man i didn't come from like a musical family Okay. So a lot of them, like my earliest musical memories came from a lot of media, specifically like, you know, video games, anime, all that. And it wasn't until elementary school that I got into like Guitar Hero, which like kind of supplied me all of my like knowledge and love for like classic rock, blues, metal, like the Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock specifically, I don't know if anyone's familiar with that specific soundtrack but it's got like everything from like pearl jam to foghat to santana to metallica that's kind of where my like interest in like guitar specifically started but you weren't playing guitar at that point you were just no no i was just like i, I did piano lessons and violin lessons as a kid that my parents forced me to and i hated it we're good you know i i, I never yeah i was not interested in instruments at all until I was playing guitar hero a lot, and then my dad was like, you should try real guitar. And I was like, okay, sure, why not? I played guitar for like a month, and I quit because it was like just too hard. It's yeah, but then in high school, I really got into Green Day, and that was like probably like the first band I like really delved deep into. And with Green Day, it's like once you know how to play power chord, which is like just a simple shape on guitar, you can play pretty much all of Green Day songs. So I really... Finally was able to, it clicked for me when I was able to actually be able to play songs on the record. And that's what got me more deep into guitar. And then that was only heightened by, I went to Memphis in like sophomore year of high school. And that's where I like discovered the blues. I went to like the BB King Museum. Mm. I got really deep into blues. But at that point I like had a, like a band in high school, 
that we played like a lot of covers and stuff. And then I had a little hiatus freshman year of college because uh, I was just focusing on uh, school at the time. Around that time, I started getting hit to the Milwaukee kind of like music scene that like Sterling mentioned. And that's actually where I met Joe because Joe was in another band, which I'm sure he'll talk about. And that inspired me to like form my own band, which was Dog Bad at the time. And that's where I really started playing a lot more live in the Milwaukee area, getting hit to like the Milwaukee scene and all the different, um, I guess, different what do you want to call it, sectors or like, you know, all the different genres because there's so much as like, you know, hip hop, indie, punk, you name it. So I got a chance to play with a lot of different artists and just kind of stem from there. Gotcha. And so is this Moonglow like your first, like certainly was talking about like the first band that you've been like really serious about? Well, I, the, the band I was primarily in in college was Dog Bad. Um, and we played, that's where I met um, Sterling's cousin, um, and also how I like kind of met Joe. Um, we played uh, like a lot in like the house shows. Like one, the one in particular was the Murray Attic, which was like a popular, like just like some guy just like put on shows. His name's Anthony, actually. He's not some guy. Um, and he posted uh, a lot of great shows that even sometimes have touring bands. Like the thing that was really cool is like he not only did he have like indie or like metal bands, he had like stuff like the Joe was in a pickle pebble mangrain. I've been there were more like funk and like jazz influence. Um, so Dog Bad was like the first band where I really got to like. I was kind of like leading and like going into venues and kind of like orchestrating. Like I'm a, I'm a big like fan of like arranging and creating a you know a memorable cohesive live experience. So Dog Band was like the first project where I started to do that a bit. And that band we stopped playing you know, just just because uh, we were all out of college and we all went kind of like in different directions, like like physically and like moved. But that was like the first band where I really got to do a lot of the, that stuff that I have like now continued doing kind of in moon glow and taking to like the next level I feel. Yeah. Well, I want to dive more into that in a bit here. Yes. I've seen some pictures and videos from your live performances and there's definitely a vibe there. Mm -hmm. Good to know that you're, you're, you're the brains behind that vibe. I want to, I want to learn more about that. But yep. first, Joe, you have like, at least on one other band prior to this, but like rewind to back to the beginning. When did when did music become a, a part of your life, you know, in a creative form? So I was always singing growing up. I really liked to impersonate pop stars. Like I would run around to like my brother's dismay, like impersonating like Britney Spears, like or like just like Frank Sinatra or like whoever like was being played around the house. I would impersonate them a lot and I would sing so much that I at one point like ruined my voice. <laughs> and then I did the same thing where I like took some piano lessons and guitar lessons, but I couldn't stick with it because Yu-Gi-Oh! and uh and World of Warcraft. So I did some of that and I think that that actually like even that small amount as a kid like still helps. Like, you know, you're just like a machine when you're a kid, so you just like absorb stuff. And then my whole family got to be in this basilical production of Music Man and I was too young to do it. But I was I would go to every rehearsal and I would watch like even tech rehearsals. The tech rehearsals are like the most boring. It's just you're just standing here and doing lighting. But I would watch it the whole time. For some reason, I was so fixated on it. And so I waited a bit. And then I they tried to put me in choir at one point. But I had, I had gotten vocal nodules. So I couldn't do that for like another year. And then I started singing in choirs. 
eventually like around sixth grade, like my voice just kind of clicked, like after some voice lessons and stuff. And I was able to sing. And like when you're in middle school and you can sing, you're like coolest. Like that quickly ends. Like I pretty much peaked in like sixth grade. But like, like people care less and less as you get older. But I did that and I did music theater in high school. I met a guy named Nick Herman and we formed a band called the Keepons. You can look up what the Keepon chemical is. But it was like this chemical they used a lot back in like the 50s and gave a bunch of people cancer. And we were like, yeah. <laughs> that's up. That's us. And I, I learned how to play bass guitar for that. Or bit. Because with punk, it's just like, like that kind of punk was just like, just do the, but I still was not good. <laughs> but I did my best. And we were getting the tour around a lot and make our own music, even though it sucked. Well, it doesn't suck. <laughs> it was okay. But I, we really liked playing it, and uh, I still have, like, a soft spot in my heart for it. So we would tour around and stuff, and I was, like, having all these, like, cool, unique experiences just doing that. And I kind of fell out of love with theater, and I just wanted to do music. And then after living in Sheboygan, I moved to Milwaukee, and I went to school for vocal performance at UW-Milwaukee, and I met a lot of really amazing people, including Isaac and Sterling and everybody in the band, but... The first people I met was some friends that we made Pineapple Migraine with, which was like a punk jazz band. And then I met Isaac at a show one time. Cinco de Mayo. You were, you were in the corner, like in the corner by the drums. Yeah, I met you and AJ that night. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a fun night. And that was my first time where I was just singing. And so then a couple people moved. So I wasn't in a band for a while. And then I got really into this guy named Tatsuro Yamashita. He's like this pop singer and composer from Japan in the 80s and 90s and 70s. And I was like, I want to make music like this. Because like the album For You by him, like it's still, I think it's like a perfect album. And it just brings so much joy to my heart to listen to that. And so I like to say that we're like city pop inspired, not really influenced. Because we were like trying to do an influence thing, but it didn't really work out like that. Eventually you just branch your own shit. But I still like go back and listen to that stuff when I'm trying to write new things. I'm like, this what kind of like underlying emotion I want to bring. Yeah. So when did the keys come in as your instrument? I like did a little self-teaching around 18, but it wasn't much. I was feeling like just singing wasn't enough. I'm like, I have to be able to write stuff. I have to like understand and like be able to bring something to the table because I didn't know how to do it in Pineapple Migraine. And during rehearsals, I just wouldn't know what to say. So at 22, I'm 26 now, and at 22, I just started taking lessons. And I would say anybody who really wants to learn theory, you should learn it through an instrument because the ability to like just have the visual there and have a hands-on approach to learning theory is just way, way easier when you have an instrument in front of you. Yep. So I've just been playing for a few years now. Do you think that your voice has improved as a result of learning to play the keys or vice versa? What's the relationship there? I haven't thought of it. Um, maybe I don't know. Okay, not. And probably definitely from like at least a writing perspective, I'm sure it has. You know, like even just like lyrics or like vocal delivery. Yeah, I don't know. Like your voice never like kind of your whole life it changes. So I think like I'm able to come up with melodies a little better and quicker now. I think it's fair to say that like the majority of the songs I come up with the initial idea, right? Mm -hmm. That's like yeah. So that's fair, but. 
So it's way easier for me to like when I'm making the song to be like, this is a melody. But like when Isaac writes a song, it's like a whole new challenge for me because I wasn't like there when like the thing came out of the ether. Mm-hmm. So I have to like try to like make a new thing for it. Whereas if I'm just doodling on the piano, I'm like, well, this is obviously what the melody should be. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So your voice is something that stood out to me immediately when I started listening to to the music. It's unique. How do you describe, or if you do describe your voice, the sound that your voice makes, and and like, and you put a lot of work into that, getting to this one kind of particular sound, or is this just like what you've been given? I would say that I'm not like really naturally gifted. Like I've been doing voice my whole life, and I always say that like you can like train and train and train at your voice, and there will be some guy singing in the subway in New York who like is just way fucking better than you, yeah. you know? So it's like, I think just finding your own individuality in your instrument and bringing your own thing to the table and not comparing it to anybody else is like really important. Still trying to improve on stuff, but like everybody has their own voice. I'm like a dynamic singer. I like to sing really high and belt and like do all this kind of crazy, stupid high shit. But like, like Bob Dylan is a good example, like not really. Not a good singer. Well, but he is, because it's like, what is good singing? Is it like just being able to like be Pavarotti, or is it like that's his voice? Like mm. that's that's an interesting voice. I like to listen to that. Does it resonate with me? So I think in that way, he is a good singer. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, some people would disagree with that, but like I think he is. You know, I think, and that's something I've had to figure out too, is like just having a personality in my voice, because I had that music background, which is all just like belting. Like how high can you belt? Mm-hmm. Can you hit a can you hit a B flat? Like whatever. I'm still kind of like that a little bit. I think just finding your own personality and your voice is the most important thing. Even if you can't sing, like just fucking talk to someone. You know. Yeah. You know, it's like your thing. It's your thing. Yeah, I get that. In each of your kind of paths, you you made a mention of how you met each other, but I'm curious, like the genesis of the band, like how is this all kind of you're all each of your individual paths and sounds and skills kind of blended together. Was that intentional or did you just uh, all get together sometime and just start jamming? It was like, there's something here. How did that all work? Yeah, like it, it started off with just Joe and I, because we were both getting into Tusra Yamashita and City Pop around the same time. We did want to like start like a band focusing on that. We had Yanni who played drums at Pineapple Migraine. And uh, Twalock also did a show. Greg, who's up, yes, who's prominent in the scene here. So we, we did, we did uh, one show with that. So, but like you know, the thing with with bands, it's all just kind of circumstance. So like you know, the odds of you know having you know people of the same availability who are into the same music and you know, all a good hang. So when you do get that group together, it's like a it's a miracle. So every time we we have that opportunity, I don't take that for granted. And like you know, without I met Sterling, the Sterling and Brent are you know drums and bass. Uh, I think Sterling mentioned like we met through uh, Elias, yeah, jamming. Well, initially through Elias, yeah, through uh, Elias. So, uh, I think we actually jammed that night too. Yeah, yeah. It's just so, and and how I met Elias, it was just like it was like a kind of a chance encounter because he came to a show and I like just either he approached me or I approached him and then we made that connection. That eventually led to Sterling, and then that was Sterling led to knowing Brett, the bass player. So it was just kind of like if I didn't talk to Elias like that lineup of Moonglow might have been very different. 
And then Tyler on saxophone was like kind of, I forget how. Tyler on craft, he went to the same high school as I did. But we never talked in high school. I knew him through like uh, music. And he was also in Pineapple Migraine. So there was that connection there. So maybe it was that connection. I can't remember exactly. But uh, Tyler got involved? Yeah, Tyler got involved. Yeah, because Tyler played in Pineapple. And then we needed a sax solo for Eureka. Mm-hmm. And so I just hit up Tyler because Tyler is a fucking boss. Um, and he just, we just brought him in one night and we're just like, do a few takes and then he just fucking ripped it. I don't even think he listened to that before he came in. Maybe he did. Uh, but yeah, dude has a, one of the best years I know. Yeah. So to answer your question, it was kind of like initially, you know, like everything's just kind of like a chance encounter. But once we had that lineup, I think it just worked really, really well. And we just kind of expand. And there's, you know, a lot of bands where you kind of like start things out. And for one reason or another, if it's like availability or just like musical taste, like things don't work out. But I think with this group, it's been for the most part, just a very, you know, natural development. Yeah. And this was in 2019 when you all like came together and kind of established. Yeah. That's late 2019. About, yeah, we started playing shows. And that was under the name Denki City first, right? Uh, Denki City was when it was just Joe and I. Okay. Denki being, um, it's Japanese for what trick, but it sounded too much like Dank, so we changed it up. And then we were Commodore Calypso. We were Commodore, I think we were Commodore Calypso with Yanni and Tlaloc. And maybe we did a show with you, Sterling, and Brent as Commodore Calypso. I can't remember. We I think we were at our first show. Yeah, it was at the house show. And we were Commodore Calypso. It was just the, like, the idea, like combining, like, the name Commodore from Commodore 64, like technology and then like video game and then uh, Calypso being a constellation, so connecting into space. But then people kept asking us if we play Calypso music, which is like an actual style of music, I believe Caribbean or something like that. So we eventually changed it to Mood Glow. Another wrong with Calypso music is just, it's just getting confusing. So it's just coming something. Moon Glow is uh, rough off the tongue a little easier. Yeah. But was there any sort of intention behind that name? Or, was, I mean, was this just like a whiteboard session? You're just like, there were a bunch of words on a, on a whiteboard and Manhattan. like picked ones and threw them together. So, Moon Glow is the name I mentioned Tatsuro earlier. Mm-hmm. He also has an album, which is incredible, called Moon Glow. So, I was just like, that's just such a great word. I didn't even know that it was a jazz standard at the time. So, I did throw a bunch of names out in the chat. Like, we got some other new name, and people were like, yeah, Mungo's good. And he said, that is it. Yeah. And then, so you, you got the one album out. When when did that album come out? October 2021. Okay. And what was the process like putting that together? Was that all of your guys' first album that you put out, like, in any band? Uh, yeah. Yeah? We uh, recorded it ourselves with the help of one of Brent's acquaintances. Uh, we used his studio for a couple of the songs, but... It was all mixed, produced, mastered by us, recorded. So, yeah, really fun process. Yeah, and what's I know sometimes artists and bands will I don't want to say drag their feet, but they'll have something put together and they'll just like, oh, it's not perfect. So I'll we're gonna wait to to perfect it. Was it like that for you guys, or was it just like, no, this is rad, or this is good enough, and we're gonna put this out? Well. It wasn't necessarily like smooth sailing. Yeah. We definitely had our, our troubles along with that. We did book our album release show before like the album was done. So we had a hard built in line. So, you know, which was, was bad, but I think also good because you arrived like there's definitely like, especially with me, like I'm always just thinking, like, oh, like, there's always something, a little thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. And like, especially 
and I'm not from the arranged side. I'm sure from the, like the mixing side, like that could just be endless too. So it was kind of nice to have just like, this is it. We got to have an album, like at least like two weeks or like some time before this show. So we can like be put through all the distributors and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you Sterling for <laughs> mastering that, right? Mixing and mastering. Mixing, mastering, recording. Yeah. I mean, there's always like a, a balance to be had between taking your time and nitpicking but also like setting a deadline, getting things done. So it was a test of that process for us. Did you feel a lot of pressure in that process? Oh, I'm listening. It was a stressful, I think we did in like four months between like the time we booked it and like decided it was going to be a thing. We had some of the previous songs or some of the songs on the project. So like previously recorded, but like the bulk of it was done within like four months. So yeah. When I would imagine you guys are happy with the product. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm happy with it. With, uh, my opinion doesn't really matter that much. Yes. Comes to it. No, it does. You're an audience. Yeah. That's the most important. You know, so you're happy with it. We've talked about the recording side and let's dive into the the performing side now. Y'all put on a really great show. It's a vibe. Mm-hmm. So, Isaac, like, what goes into that process? When you're putting together a, a Moonglow show, like, how do you think about that vibe? Is it different every time or are there staples that is always going to be a part of a, a Moonglow experience? Just take me through that process. Like like some of my like biggest influences are like, you know, some of those on um, Japanese city pop acts or like other one is Volpec and looking at their shows and um, kind of observing other shows like enable within like the local Milwaukee area as well. The, the the approach I take is like I treat like the entire show as like the whole thing is like a piece or like one like cohesive thing, right? It's got to have a clear beginning, has to have a clear ending. You know, I always consider like, you know, when do I want like high energy or like little low energy breaks? So it's just like finding those transition points. So I always think about that, that. and just like get, getting really technical about it. Like uh, even like between songs, like do we want to just have silence and like a little bit of, you know, banter or like, could we just have like drums playing or at least a groove going? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember I was like looking into like big, like, you know, pop acts like Ariana, Ariana Grande and Tiva Swift and they have like, those people have like a person whose sole job is to orchestrate the whole show in that regard. Like what songs come after what song and like, when do you interact with the crowd? I'm very meticulous. It's a very detail oriented, but also it is important to have like the moments in it where it's just there, yeah, room for spontaneous moments, which I think, you know, I'm blessed to be in a group with people who really excel at that. Uh, you know, there's like musicians who like want to do everything kind of very like by the book, sort of like have everything written out, but it's also good to have kind of that jazz kind of influence where it's like you're kind of up for whatever happens. Uh, so I like finding a balance between those two things. Yeah. And with your kind of technical and meticulous, you know, approach to this, probably at least from the musicians and bands that I know, there are, there are some that really struggle with how to put together, like, you know, the performing experience. And so I'm curious if you have any like advice or, or tips or tricks or just like things to be thinking about to share with other, with other artists. Yeah, I think one one thing that I do look at this is all just like kind of like from observing other people's shows, um, like shows that I really, really enjoy. I like to think less about not so much like, oh, this is like a series of songs and more like this is a series of like moments, especially with live. I'm thinking live shows specifically. Like I want to like, like 
I try and avoid having like two or three songs on a row with like a big sax solo mm-hmm. running because I mean, it's just like, okay, we're kind of getting the same thing. I always like to have, okay, this is the song where Sterling has like a shining note. This is the song where Joe has a long note at the end. So I always like think about that. Think about moments more so necessarily than just like, oh, songs beginning to end. Yeah, man. And then when it comes to like more of the like the tangible side of, of a performance with like lights and like a backdrop and all that type of stuff, what should musicians be thinking about when it comes to that side? Do you get super technical with that stuff too? Yeah, to to a degree. Yeah, definitely. Like with um, outfits, like just how you look on stage, because the reality is, is like a lot of people's perceptions. Like even not again like a live show, but also on social media, it's all very visual. Mm-hmm. My thing is, just I always like I want the group to not just look like a group of just guys. Yeah. Like I want there to be something like we did for the first album. We had our turtlenecks and the different color coded uh, jackets, but that ended up not being so practical. Because it was like, what, turtlenecks and winter, like some of those were winter jackets. So, but um, we do the jumpsuits now. It's it's more so um, just like, so when people do come to like a Moonglow show, whether we're playing, you know, at Chill on the Hill for like over a thousand people, or if it's like at a bar for like three or five people, I always believe that it's like, you want to bring like, definitely always bring your A game, no matter like what the audience is or who's there. Because you never know, like, who's going to be there, like what, what impact you'll have. Um, and you also just want to be consistent, right? Someone goes to a Moonglow show and sees like the outfits and all these cool things. And then they're like, they invite friends over to the next show and you don't do it or like, or just don't give it your all. I think those are some important things that need to be considered to, you know, make an impact on a scene or like, you know, make live, like, like my main thing is just making live shows that resonate with people that like make people's days better. That's, uh, what, what, what we're kind of about with, with, with what we do with live. Yeah. And y'all, like you mentioned, played show on the hill and you played Cooperage and Cactus Club and any other venues that stick out of just like really memorable shows for maybe you all have different different answers to this question, but like if you could zoom in on one particular show. What do you mean memorable? Like in the good or bad way? It could be either, I guess. What do you think the best show has been and where has it been and, and why was it such a great show? Well, Sean and was awesome. Good play. A couple thousand, maybe not that much, but a lot of people. And so you look across the whole thing, especially after like two years of people like, staying away from each other you get to like be outside and like see all these people just eating cheese and shit and like performing for all of them it's really cool but also i think the shows where like a lot of things go wrong are really valuable because like it's like team bonding i know there was one show where isaac got sick like the day of when we were going to play for i think it was called a shabbat show it was like a a jewish house show and we played there but we didn't have isaac so we like met up it was like a backyard show but we met up and so we just like figured out how to play with isaac and so after that we kicked him out because we're like we can do this no then one thing was like like we're like we're like practicing we're like yeah it's not the same but i think we can do this and then we play like the first note of brick wall at the beginning and we're like we can't can't do this like it sounds so bad but like eventually we got kind of into a vibe and and that's a memorable show to me because it's like it was crazy like not having a leading guitar. It's, yeah, yeah. I don't know, I'd say um this this kind of uh, 
outside of Moon Glow, but kind of like talking about like being prepared for like the unprepared. I did a lot of uh, the same time, a lot of R&B kind of shows. And with those uh, shows, it's like a lot of cover music, but if there's like a kind of standard repertoire you're expected to know. So with a lot of these shows, they're going to be calling tunes you might have like not expected. I've, like, I've done shows where I didn't know any of the songs they were going to do. They just kind of called them and you figure it out on the spot or... So there, we we all have a little experience of like kind of gigs like that, but that's that's where I like really learn how to like adapt in live shows and always you know how to put on a smile, put on a good show, even if like things are like slowly falling apart. I, I always feel though like some like like the best live moments happen when you're just like on the edge of disaster. So I like I kind of uh, like that pressure a bit. As far as Moonglow shows, we did have one show where we were playing at like an art auction. And it was like at a ballroom and we were expecting to do kind of like our normal moon glow, like kind of high energy set. And we show up and it's like a dining room. So there's like, you know, people eating food, like literally feet away. And it's like, no way, like, are we going to be able to do like a good chunk of our songs? So on the spot, we just, on the spot, like at that on stage, we just arranged kind of chiller versions of our songs or covers, made it work. Like there's not a lot of, other musicians I feel like I could do that with. So it was kind of a, it was a good moment for our band to kind of work through. Uh, it wasn't the, I had the most ideal situation, but it was, uh, it was definitely a good learning experience. Yeah. Should I have anything to add to um, favorite performances? To piggyback off of the, like, coming up with things on the spot, I think <laughs> uh, I share the same sentiment with that ballroom show, especially because previously in, like, the jazz combos I've been a part of, when I would make mistakes, I would like unintentionally draw as much attention to that mistake as I could, like by making a face or like mm. looking at somebody, like, you know, just doing what you shouldn't do. But over time, and especially playing with these guys, I've like started to enjoy making those like risky moments, new moments. Mm -hmm. Like you never know what'll happen. But also that Chill on the Hill show is pretty was a pretty big show. I think I saw the most fallout from like that that community and Bayview and like subsequent strata this where they were like oh we saw you at chill on the hill and like wanted to check you out again and that was cool to see so yeah 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 have you all played a, a so far show before we have actually yeah well, where was what was the venue for that show that was at um the plant shop i can't remember what it was called they they'd host they host a few shows um with so far yeah that was that was a lot of fun try and remember the plant shop i was showing that was really nice yeah but yeah, they have, that was a really fun time. Nice. Sam, Sam's a good friend of mine. Met him in like the, the days when he was like in the Oxleys. Yeah, yeah. Sam and I did a, an episode a few weeks ago. Right. Talked about So Far and just, we both just spanned way the hell out of So Far as a concept. Mm -hmm. It's such a cool, yeah. cool thing for both audiences and artists as well. Just such mm -hmm. a strong asset for discovery. So as a band, it, it seems like things have just like come together really nicely. But and you've you've talked about some you know challenges when it comes to shows. But like as a band in the business side of it, like have there been any like challenges that you've had to like face or overcome? I mean, namely you guys like came together in late 2019. And I'm guessing we're we're hoping to uh, spend most of 2020 gigging. Mm -hmm. um, that wasn't the case. So like, how did you? We'll just start there. Like, how did you meet that challenge? What did you do during that time? You know, obviously you were working on an album that was released the next year, but like, did you do a lot of internet shows and things like that? Or how did you, how did you, what was 2020 like for Winglow? I don't, I don't think we did 
uh, too much like at the beginning of 2020. Yeah, I think we um, we weren't playing that much, that many shows. Or like, well, our last show was that basement show where everything hit the fan with all the COVID stuff. Yeah, but then after like everything happened, it's like obviously we had to like assess the situation, like what was safe meeting up wise. I was pretty sure at that point. I'm like, ah, it's not gonna work out. I think a lot of bands, unfortunately, broke up around that time. I think it was just like meeting up with caution. There were stretches where we would meet up masked, and that was like an, an adjustment, or meeting up just like two people or whatever. But I think it was also like a, another great, I think, trials and tribulations, like strengthen people's bond. So I think it's meeting up during that time and getting through COVID as a band like really strengthened us because it's like if we could get through that and still be together it's like how many bands have had to do that right except for everybody who was did that yeah and the history of music so i think it was also a really great time for us to figure out because we were going to go two directions we had like i write like moonglow songs and i also write like these weird avant-garde kind of moody songs so we were like what kind of band do we want to be and i remember we met up in isaac's garage and this was like we hadn't played in a bit and we were still figuring out which direction we wanted to go and we were playing i'm like i think i said in the line like god you suck we're was, really bad that was a better it was bad i had i had a, some, I had, a, I had a new pedal board that i was still figuring out how to use which is now the main but the whole thing but i think that garage but, just sounded bad it's like the neighborhood walking around and they were like looking at us but like not like I can't believe playing in our neighborhoods like how oh, she even stop playing it you um it is a multitude of things yeah. and then um but like we're like what do we like playing we like playing this kind of more upbeat joyful but some still like deeper cuts we like playing that and then i think the show that really clicked for us was our first show back like a few months after or yeah a few months after the vaccines came out we played at bremen right yeah, and we had like a bunch of people there, friends that we hadn't seen in a long time, new people that we got to meet, and that show just like really like okay, this is a time shit for new idea. So, yeah, nice. So who who handles, or is this a team effort? Like kind of the the business aspect, the booking and the social media and all of that. Do you guys tag team that, or is one person in particular handle that side? Mostly Joe. Yeah, oh, mostly Joe. I'm bad at it though. So it's like I miss like a bunch of shout outs to all the people who are waiting for responses. <laughs> yeah, I naturally like if I didn't have to have social media, I wouldn't because I just don't like it. Like we still don't have a TikTok or anything and nothing wrong with the people at TikToks. It's just like it's not like something I'm really like concerned about. Like we get requests for booking or if there's some place that I really want to play, like we're trying to book more outside of Milwaukee too. But that's rough because they're like, how many times have you played here? It's like uh, you apply for like one of those jobs, those entry level positions. I'm like, well, how many times have you done this job? It's an entry. You can tip that. My virtual out of college, how much experience do you have? Um, nothing. Oh, this is an entry level. But I think eventually, it'd be nice to have somebody else do that. Are you just trying to figure out all this on your own, or do you have like? like a mentor or is there like a, a resource that you're using to learn like the business aspect and how to kind of operationalize everything? No, I think that uh, I just made the email. I've, um, Allie, she managed us for a little bit 
Shout out to Alex. Yeah, Shout out to Alex. But she she helped us get that release show. But then after a while, she's just like, I'm too busy, which is perfectly understandable. But she kind of like was like, you guys don't have an email. First of all, you're still using your personal email, so like, let's make you an email. And then she just gave us suggestions of things to do. But she was a uh, she was really helpful kind of learning that stuff. So shout out to Allison. Yeah. Yes. Other, otherwise, I've just been figuring it out. I haven't taken any like seminars or any retreats or anything like that. I've, I've one night like I emailed a bunch of like agents and I'm like, please, Green. please. Uh, but they're all like, they didn't respond or they're like, no, nah, we don't have room. So I'm like, all right, we'll just be independent. Or I guess you're still independent if you have an agent. But yeah. Well, for what it's worth, uh, Wisconsin Beach Adventures offers like workshops on all this type of stuff. Ah, dude, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, services and and workshops and things like that with experts to help artists kind of hone in on the entrepreneurial aspect of, of being a musician because you you are a business, you know, like you're 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 an entrepreneur and you're trying to build revenue and all kinds of things, and most artists just want to focus on the creative side yeah and that's how i feel i just like it's not like natural for me just so you know there are resources out there for you and you know one right here in milwaukee with wisconsin music ventures so check maybe it. offline we can talk more about that sure. so you guys are uh you're working on a new album now how's that coming together slow slow but slower slower yeah we're giving ourselves a lot more time well oh, that's good yeah but uh air on more of the nitpicky side and let things sit. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a ambitious kind of goal set for a date to release, or is it just when it's ready, it's ready? August. I think we're gonna have a single out in April. Okay, as well. August is like uh, <laughs> if everything else goes well. We talk about the Wire and Vice Studio in Tosa, so we met those people, and those people are great. They're really great people, and we've started doing some recording over there a little bit. We're still trying to figure out how much we're going to do there because we don't have money. So, um, like, the song selection, we basically have all the songs that we're going to do. I'm so happy with the the songs because I think uh, just our writing has gotten so much better since the first album. I think uh, it's going to be really good. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about the uh, the writing. And, like, Joe, I understand you do most of the, of the lyric writing, correct? Mm-hmm. What are the sources of inspiration for, for the for the writing? So, yeah, I talked about Tatsuro earlier. I hope I can meet him because he's like, I don't know. It's like this crazy, like, a dude, like, who's like 5,000 miles away, you know, who's like 60 right now has, like, changed my life. He's <laughs> just chilling over there. And I'm like, oh, uh, but um, so I think, like, with lyrics wise, I really admire the people who can be so vulnerable and just straight up talk about everything, I can't. So I like mask a lot of things in kind of a broader sense of lyrics. And I hope maybe that makes it a little more relatable to a larger thing. And I also think that it challenges me writing-wise because I have to like shroud it a bit. And I think if you listen to the lyrics, I should probably release the lyrics <laughs> like what they are because I know sometimes people I One reason... I think it all kind of has an underlying meaning of like trying to figure out how to properly live a good life. I think Eureka is a good example of that because it's just like, like the lyrics are like, if I like actually figured out what would that feel like, you'd be like Eureka, you know, I found the way. Um, 
but I haven't gotten there. So a lot of it is like hopefulness. Also, some of it is like steamed nights is about making stir fry, which is some people are like, oh, I hate that song. Like, what? I don't like songs about food. I'm like, all right, <laughs> listen to Weird Al. So I come up with a lot of, a lot of the songs are me just like, I have this progression and I have this structure. Isaac, make it good. And then, and then everybody like, once Isaac's like, well, what if we like added this section in here and like maybe change this chord and then we'll come in all together in the practice space once we have like a general structure and then everybody contributes. So that's been a challenge like to credit the writing because it's like, yeah, technically I come up with like most of the bass ideas except for a few songs that Brent and Isaac have come up with. And on this next album, Sterling's got a great track. It's going to be good. So then everybody collaborates on it. So I'm like, who do you say writes it? Lily. Yeah. Everybody wrote it. You know, it wouldn't be the same song if I just wrote it. So I'm not like notating. Is it like asynchronous or do you guys like get together and be like, okay, we're going to come up with like, you know, a new song tonight or whatever. And you just kind of figure it out organically. Or is it like you start with lyrics and then Isaac comes in and he makes it good and then you know everybody else comes in with their own little licks and whatnot it's it's for the most part it's pretty spontaneous like with the with this next this new batch of songs we do kind of have a system of like how we're arranging the songs or like you know with the initial ideas um but there are like like with eureka it's like a good example where i think i came up with that um initial like idea the buddha and I just I arranged a whole I made a whole thing out of that and then I just said Joe put put lyrics to it's pretty much there is a there's a new song that's kind of like that but the majority is like yeah Joe comes up with like the principal like melody or chord progression for the most part I just kind of like look at it and uh um and sometimes it's a process that takes very little time sometimes it's a process that takes a long time because it's just like a matter of you know for some song that's like it's not a very clear path of where we want to go as far as sonically, you know, because there's, there's just so much that we could do with it. So it, it just comes up through like just kind of these handful of like, and they kind of come from any member of the band of just like little like ideas or little changes that end up changing it or flipping the whole track around, you know, or sometimes it's a matter of, of like emitting stuff, like the power of just like, okay, like, what is this part really serves in the whole song? Can we like say just as much mm-hmm. without it? Kind of. So that's like the, the process. No, that makes sense. Yeah. It's probably never clear cut. It's always a wild ride. So let's zoom in on the song that listeners will hear after this interview, Sip of Juice. So why did you choose that song? And like, tell me about like the inspiration behind that song and just like what the process has been like to put that one together. I came up with the chords Again, but that chord progression, I mean, you'll be you listen to our eyes on our sounds awfully familiar. So it's like a common chord progression, but in different keys. And so I came up with that. And then I wanted to like write like kind of like the lyrics a little more uh, sexy, kind of like uh, old R&B love songs where it's kind of like still establishing, like talking about physical attraction, but it's not just that. It's like the dude in the song. I always separate myself a little bit from the songs. So it's like the dude in the song is singing about like, yeah, he sees this beautiful person, but he also like wants to figure out how to like fall in love mm-hmm. at the same time. So it's not just a surface level thing. So I came up with that 
And then Sterling is the groove maestro. So whenever we come with these songs, Sterling's like, yeah, I got it. You know? And so uh, we did that. And then Isaac came up with the, we did it at the beginning, just iconic. And then we have this like bridge. I heard this like saxophone idea where I'm like, what if we had like a, a whole horn section with just saxophones where it goes, and I was like, Tyler, do this melody. And I sang, da, 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 da. And then he's just like, okay. And he plays it. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler make like the sudden sex on that track. Makes And also Brent on bass. I feel like Sip of Juice for me is like a, a really good track where just like everyone just has like a shining moment. Like I talked about with the live show, that was just, mm-hmm. Sip of Juice is kind of like a good, just a very condensed example of that. It's just always like, it's just a fun one to, to play live, especially because of that. I remember like that also was a song that had some uh, tense moments in the right. I remember I was against the little, the section where the, I think it's like right before the second chorus, if you will, where like the instruments kind of cut out and it's just this and that kind of vocals. I remember I was against, I was against that. And now it's like my favorite from the song we do. And also we did, um, that was also a song that we were able to do the drums live, right? The Yeah, we uh, recorded those at a studio. Yeah. yeah, and we also did the little back and forth between the guitar and the saxophone at the very end. I don't think it was live in the studio, but it was like Tyler and I were in the same room and we were just trading ideas. And I kind of like that. At least my interpretation of it, I don't know if I ever told you this, Joe, my interpretation of like the very end is being like an argument or just some kind of like heartfelt, just like messy conversation with the, with the sax and then the guitar sounding like a stereophone. So I always like that kind of like, oh, so what, uh, we had the... The crying ja- Japanese person. It was the audio of a politician who got caught with like a scandal and he's like crying in Japanese. So that's like the audio you hear during like Brent's little bass solo in the recording. Yeah. Just as a fun little, I don't know, just a little ear candy. Just like, oh. It also sounds like somebody's like, you know, they, they're in an argument or they just got dealt with an argument. Yeah. They're like crying about it's it. It's very heartfelt. It's a very, very sad crying Japanese. Yeah. But, but that song really, like, also just as a recording thing, it just like really came together as like, wow, this sounds really good. And that's why we gave it to 88 and RM. And they play it a good amount, which we really appreciate. It just sounds good. I also want to like, Brent's not here. And I already said Tyler's a boss. But like Brent, he wrote Breakout, Brick Wall. Retrofit. Retrofit. And I'm always like, everybody I play with is the best musician. That's how I feel because I'm like, and I really think Brent is just like an amazing, amazing bass player. And he works so hard. Dude works like 50 hours a week and still like tries to practice three hours a day. Has a dog. You know? Like, come on, dude. I Like the work ethic that must take. I really admire him for that, even though... I love to give Brent shit because I like it. Because we I like it. it. So, and he gives it back. And uh, yeah. So. so you mentioned earlier, like wanting to book more shows outside of Milwaukee. What are the aspirations for, for shows? You guys, you know, wanting to tour and when would that happen and where? And like, just what, what are your thoughts as it comes to touring? Yeah, we'd love to tour. I think, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's just like like a half a week, like you just go around the Midwest or something. I think it was just the furthest we played is Chicago. It's okay. the only out of town show we really had. But it's just, uh, it's just tricky money wise and scheduling wise. Everybody has jobs. Yes, we would like to. If you, if you, I think it's hard because like people are like, oh, just hit up the bands. No, hit up the venues. I'm like, okay. So 
I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out how to approach that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get responses from venues and bands. I always feel kind of feel kind of bad sometimes hitting them up, but other bands hit us up from out of town. So I'm like, I could do it. <laughs> I'm not very good at it, like I said. So, but I got to push myself to reach out. What are the aspirations for the band itself? Like, what do you want this to become? What does success mean for Moonglow? And maybe y'all have different answers to this, but I'm curious. Just is it? more recording is it more performing is it an equal amount of both you know some bands say i oh, you know oh, we want to eventually sell out madison square garden I, I mean just like this the sky could be the limit but like where where are your thoughts when it comes to what success means for learning glow what do you think sterling mm-hmm. i think uh i don't know to have somebody listen to it and have like an intimate moment with the songs is like the ultimate goal. Because mm-hmm. I think about when I enjoy music, like why I enjoy it, like the feeling I get from like some of my core memories of music. And it's just like having a good feeling about listening to something. So that's basically it. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an intangible kind of metric for success. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's same kind of thing, but more oriented towards like the live shows. I'm always about just like, like with this project, I'm always like, you know, with every new live show we do, just trying to make it bigger, better. Even if the audience isn't necessarily growing from show to show, it's like, we're just like, keep raising what we do. And I, I feel like compared to like when we were starting like in 2019 or like at the very beginning of our kind of um, stride back into it and in like 2021, once the vaccine started rolling out, um, I feel like our live shows have really come a long way along with you know our recording and our songwriting and for me it's like you know yeah definitely like gone touring just reaching out to more new different people playing for more people and you know just the the more we can do with that is how i kind of measure as opposed to like maybe like streams Mm -hmm. say just that uh face-to-face kind of interaction for sure yeah joe you got anything I think, like, if you ask me day-to-day, it kind of changes. Because, like, there's been some points where I, like, walk up to this whiteboard and I'm like, we are a business. But then other times I'm like, no, like, if we make good enough music, people will listen. And then I'm like, we need to get on all these Spotify playlists. And then I'm like, why are we making music for, like, some weird machine that's, you know, it's not even a person. It's like an algorithm. It's like, why would you do that? (laughs) I think, like, where I'm at now... It's like, will anybody like listen to my music when I'm dead? But um, well, like, will anybody care like after I die? Which is like long term goals because you know hopefully I don't die anytime soon. Um, I'm hoping for the same. Thanks. You know, no, yeah, no, I just but shorter term, I've like not really traveled a lot because I've always been like, well, if I get music going. Um, I'll be able to travel through that. So I think, like, I can't see us ever really being, like, a huge act, like a top 10 winner billboard. I think, like, if we have, like, a nice cult following and we can tour around even just the country or, like, go to do a thing in Europe and people come and we can make, like, enough money to, like, maybe work a little less or not at all... That would be, that'd be really cool. I want to perform in Japan. That's that's that is a concrete name that I book. I want to do, and is that you know it's 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 actually pretty doable. There's some 
you know, Max said, like, you know, especially like who get kind of big on the internet or like who are kind of like a little bit more. Because that's the beautiful thing in this age that we live in. Both Peck is like the perfect example of like, you know, they're, they're like an independent group that went on to like sell Madison Square Garden because they had like a perfect kind of culmination of like their music, their look, their video editing, like all that kind of came together. So definitely uh, that's the thing I love playing with these guys is there's a, there's like a camaraderie. Yeah. And we make music that, I don't know, I don't know, for me it's like, it's like, do I like the music? Mm-hmm. Does it really like make me want to, you know, people at home can't see this from the groove and I'm dancing. <laughs> not, not, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I want to, you know, share the stuff that excites me with other people. And especially like in Japan is like a place where it's like they really respond mm-hmm. to, to stuff like that. So. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you all kind of mentioned something about like making music that resonates with people. You know, you said intimate moments and clearly I think that you, you're wanting, you know, there'd be the connection with the audience and the music and then the experience itself. And then Joe, you mentioned, you know, this idea of having like a, a good cult following. What do you feel like right now in terms of where the band is at and its reception in Milwaukee's music scene, like from an audience perspective, do you... Do you think you have a, a pretty good following? And what's that like? Yeah, I think it's really like um, you were talking about like some somebody else recommending us. Or, like, whenever I hear people talking about us, I'm like, what? No, really not. Uh, no, I'm just like, I'm really flattered that people you know, come to see us and like it has a big enough impact that it like makes them want to talk about it after. And I think also just all the other bands we've met, Bug Moment, Hannah Simone, Little Sig, Sounds like endeavors. Sounds like endeavors and soul speed. Yeah, like and then like having bonds with them and like throwing shows with them and creating like a new scene just from like meeting up with each other. I don't know. It's just cool that I'm really happy with the that people like us around here and hopefully like that will just grow into other places too. Yeah, let's try something new here since we do have a, a fan with us. Ooh. <laughs> We have joined listeners by uh, the person that actually made this interview possible, uh, a friend of mine, Jake, who I would classify as a super fan, um, reached out to me and said, hey, you should really have these guys on your podcast. And so I think you mentioned it to Joe, and then Joe, you reached out to me. And then I said, about yet, or was it yesterday before the interview? I was just like, hey, are you free tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, I just want to come like, hang out. Then you have to be on it. But now I'm going to put you on the spot. So, because this is the first time we've done something like this on the podcast, like actually having like a fan with us sitting in for the interview. And I always want to include everyone in a conversation. So tell, tell the listeners about your experience with Moonglow. I mean, you like them enough to recommend them to be on a podcast. So, like, what stands out to you about Moonglow? When I listen to your music, it does move me and it draws emotion. A lot of what you guys write and the way that you perform, I've seen you guys, I think, four or five times. It's been like a movie and experience, like existential, like metaphysical kind of stuff, which I'm really into. Nick knows me well enough from the spiritual element, like non-traditional spiritual. You guys just hit all that all the time in the songs like Say You Will, Sip of Juice, like even Steam Nights. To me, it's like it's more than just making stir fry it's like like being in love or like having an intimate moment with people and i think just recommending it to nick about the podcast is i just want to get that message out because i want to spread the love and like the feeling that i have when i listen to you guys to the community of the people that i'm involved in so i was like 
I, if I could get here, what did I say? I was like, I'll clear my schedule. It's like 10 minutes away. Like I'll sit at like wherever we're just be able to like, just meet you guys. Cause like, it's been such a memorable, like six to eight months since I started listening to you guys. When I open Spotify and I open Apple music and some of the other streaming platforms that I listen on, it's like, you guys are always on top just because it's been stable since I started listening. Thank you, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Was you low in your, in your rap? It was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to mention what else was on there, but I'm going to you first. No, I mean, well, yeah, you guys, you guys, well, I'm just excited to see you every chance I can. So thank you. Thank you. How was that feel? I have to put you on the spot, but like, I don't know how often people share what Jake just shared, but when you hear that type of stuff, was it fulfilling? Like put it, put some words to your experience right now. Makes me want to do it more. Yeah. It's pretty much, that's the, that's the cycle. Yeah. Thank you for supporting us and checking us out. I think it's just like, again, it's, it's nice to just hear somebody who's like actually really listening because it could just come off as like, oh, we're just like a fun, energetic band to listen to. But I try to like, I can't even help like in happier, or like funkier songs, like trying to put in meaning. And I had like a, a spiritual upbringing. So like, that's going to slip through in my writing. So I think it's just nice that you were listening enough to kind of pick up on some of that. So thanks, dude. Of course, man. Yeah. And uh, we just could think about the time we've spent practicing and recording and changing different sounds. It makes it all be like worth it. So me yelling at them, yeah, <laughs> being aggressive. <laughs> you talked about the music, Jake. What What do you get from like the the live performance? Like you know Isaac's work and his meticulous you know nature to kind of put together that experience. It seems like it's not as planned as you detail or like not as planned out as in detail which because it's like i think it's a credit to the camaraderie it literally feels like you guys have been friends like your whole life like when i first saw you guys i was like these guys went to elementary school together high school and they, they're just like out there having fun because it seems really like spontaneous in terms of like just the jam sessions and everything you guys are like super polished for me to find out that you know it's like 2019 you guys are just super professional up there and like i love when you guys get to funk out and just like jam it's again like you take your songs that you guys have recorded and written and then you draw them out like a really polished tenured band that i've seen perform at alpine and stuff where it's like you just take it and you elongate it and you jam out and it's it's such an awesome experience and anybody like just listening just go out and see them because it is really awesome to see a local band seemingly as experienced as you guys are just in, in small intimate venues it's just, it's just awesome so as we kind of bring this conversation to a close i was asked yes the same question to end the interview and it is what is the most important thing that you want listeners to know about boon club uh, we are comrades listen to tatsuri mashto if you're not familiar with japanese music I mean, not just city pop, but um, there's a, it's all on YouTube. There's a treasure trove of music. If you happen to like our sound or just like pop music in general, don't sleep on all that good music. So that's what they should know. For people that are trying to make their own music, take a moment to try and understand how the music you listen to and or enjoy was recorded, who recorded it, the techniques that go into that, practice mixing. It's easier than you think it is, but it is hard to master, so trying things i want to add to like what someone just said yeah especially if you're in the process of creating like understanding like where your favorite artist or music comes from like knowing things like the studio that was recorded because then you'll realize that like a lot of those like 
especially like in America, like a lot of those pop recordings had like the same session players. So if you like Aretha Franklin or like, I mean, like, like whatever group and you know, oh, this is like Muscle Shoals. And if you like dig deep into the Muscle Shoals catalog, you'll find all this other great music that sounds just as good, if not like better that not a lot of people know about. Get to know your sources like for anything. If there are genres of music you don't understand, try branching out and trying to find a context that people do enjoy that in and understand that then you might find something you like. So mm. Yeah, it might not seem like this is so much about us, but this is really like, for, for me, like Moon Glow is kind of like the culmination of like the five of us, like all the things that we've loved and the things we research, everything from the sound to the live shows too, right? We like, even like live performance, like we quote and like do things on it. It's, it's all like for me, especially since I'm like a music teacher and I play in R&B, punk bands, like all over it's like music to me is just like big one continuum like nothing came inside a vacuum that's amazing the question was like what do you want them to know yeah what's the most important thing that you want them to know not what they should know when someone thinks of Moonglow, what do you want them to think the good times and the bad times well said <laughs> i think that kind of sums up you can't just have one without the other yeah i think that's like kind of in the writing but uh it's not always like a good day, but um, yeah, like you said, you gotta have bad days to have good days, and that's kind of what we try to emphasize in the music. I think like what I try to write about, I I feel like there's a responsibility, and there's people who are gonna disagree with this, but like if you're writing about like something sad or just being miserable, like you shouldn't just write about that. You should also like realize that like, yeah, you've had a lot of bad experiences, but you're still here. And in one way or another, like the resources that you had to like get out of that, you should always try to write that there is a way out. And I think that goes back to Eureka and a lot of songs on this new album are going to have that kind of theme too, where it's like, there's always like a way to get through things. You all three of you gave like amazing answers to this. It, that is that sits with me. It really resonates with me, and I hope it does for listeners too. This has been really fun. Thank you so much for yeah. sitting down with me, all three of you. I think this is the first time I've done a multi. Well, it's not true. I've done two people, but never three, and also never with a fan. So thank you. Uh, I thank you for this unique experience. This was a great conversation, and I'm really looking forward to. It in many 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 live shows from you guys and uh, looking forward to august for the, for the second album to come out complete yeah thank you man. thank you, you. Thank you.
Venture Podcast. Please leave ratings and reviews from wherever you're listening from. Check us out online at themusiciansventure.com for more information on what we have happening, to find past episodes, and ways to get in touch with us. Find us on social media at The Musicians Venture on Facebook and Instagram, and at Musician Venture on Twitter. Like and follow us on all those platforms, and hey, while you're there, engage with and share our content with your friends. The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by me, Nick O'Brien, with guest host appearances from Allison M. The podcast is produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.